I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 354 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, today I have another gridiron great joining me on the podcast. Merrill Hodge is my guest today. Merrill played the majority of his NFL career as a running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He finished off his career with the Chicago Bears. After his NFL career ended, he went on to ESPN, where he worked as an analyst for many years. In 2003, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. He battled through and became cancer-free. He's an inspirational dad and a motivational speaker. He is the best-selling author of two books, Find a Way and Brainwashed. You can find the links to both of those books in today's show notes. I'm extremely honored to have him with me on the podcast today. Merrill Hodge will be here in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Merrill Hodge was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you would like to watch the conversation between me and the former NFL running back, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. And if you guys enjoy my Dads of the NFL interviews, you have got to go through the archives and check out all the episodes that I've done. You're going to find some real bangers, including my interviews with Ronnie Lott, Carson Palmer, Kurt Warner, Tim Brown, and so many others. I've had the honor of interviewing 10 NFL Hall of Famers. I've been live at two Super Bowls to bring you guys the action from all the dads playing in the big game. So I encourage you guys to go through and check them all out. Tomorrow on the podcast, I'm going to have a fresh Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood with a returning guest, former Navy SEAL Craig Sawyer, who is in the business of hunting down child predators, will be here. Don't miss out on that. Craig has got a new documentary out titled Contra Land about the severity of the child sex trafficking industry. He drops some great advice, so lock it in for tomorrow's episode. And please follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out all of the upcoming guests that will be joining me here on the podcast. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about this podcast to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with former NFL running back Merrill Hodge. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Lumen. Lumen is working to improve the world's metabolic health and quality of life. Lumen is the first handheld device that measures your metabolism through the breath to tell you what fuel source your body is using for fuel, carbs or fats. You can receive real-time daily insights about where your metabolism is at to help you optimize your workouts, get fit or lose weight. Lumen Science is rooted in years of validation research conducted by two of their founders and chief scientists. And today, First Class Fatherhood listeners can get $25 off by using the promo code FATHERHOOD25. Visit www.lumen.me or hit the link in today's show notes and enter the code FATHERHOOD25 to get $25 off and improve your quality of life today. Joining me now, First Class Father, Merrill Hodge. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Good to be with you, my friend. All right, let's do this. How many kids do you have? How old? Well, I've got, uh, let's start with this. I've got two kids. My daughter's 26 and my son is 24 and I got three grandbabies. I got a seven, a six and a three. So, uh, I've got, I got, I got a mixture, man. And I couldn't be happier. Yeah. I love it. What type of uh, sports or activities were the kids into growing up? Well, you know, my daughter was actually more of a uh, theatrical 
she was gifted in music, gifted in singing, dancing, and acting. But um, she played soccer, baseball. I coached her for uh, several years in, in soccer and baseball. But her real gifts were theatrical. You know, she competed on Broadway, and she was she was that talented. But hers is different. My son, he played everything. He was basketball, baseball, football. He he came out of the womb wanting to play sports. He was made to play sports. So, and I coached him in all those sports too till he got to high school. Yeah, that's good stuff, Merrill. If you could just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Well, um, I used to play for the. I played in the National Football League for nearly a decade. Was drafted by the Steelers. Majority of my career was with them, and then ended my career with the Chicago Bears. Those were my two actual favorite teams as a kid, too, by the way. Walter Payton was my favorite player. The Steelers were my favorite team. So uh, I didn't see that coming. Um, worked at ESPN for uh, 21 years as an analyst there. Um, have doing a lot. I've been doing a lot. And my third passion in life has really evolved into inspirational and motivational speaking. Um, um, I became an author some 10 years ago, which um, if a lot of my teachers were out there right now, they'd probably fall off their chairs right now because I have all the people that <laughs> probably wouldn't write a book. It would be me. Um, and I just finished my third one, by the way. So um, that gives hope to anybody out there that you can do anything if I can write a book. Um, so um, I now do a lot of motivational speaking. Uh, I'm an author. I help create a way to play program that is that we launched by with the NFL. Um, I still do stuff with the the Pittsburgh Steelers um, in their media outreaches and football evaluations. So, um, and contributed to Fox and friends. So um, busy and enjoying where I am. Yeah. Very impressive, Marilyn. So uh, in this whole journey here about how old were you then when you first became a dad and how to becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? Well, gosh dang, I think I was 28 years old when Corey was born. Um, and I would just say this, the second I laid eyes on her, um, my life changed. Instincts came over me I did not know existed. Um, and things that probably happened um, to me as a child is probably why I see things through a child's eyes more than most adults. Um, when I saw, I lost my mom at a young age. So what was interesting when I saw my daughter, the first thing that I noticed were her fingers. They were so long. My mom had really pretty hands and long hands and I don't know, there was just a, a, such a connection there uh, that I have never forgotten. And it's only resonated and gotten better. Um, you know, I just had, um, she's one of the greatest moms uh, I've ever seen. She's, she has three kids, and I was just talking to her yesterday, and just let her know how proud I am of her as a parent, you know, and how she is as a mom, and that she's better than I was. And, and I'm not envious of that. I'm happy for that, that, you know, yeah, I think as parents, we do the absolute best we can. Um, do we do it flawlessly? No. I think part of our responsibility is when we've made mistakes, we we own up to them. We we say we're sorry. We don't make excuses for them. Um, that's what I've done with my kids is uh, when I, as a parent, when I would make mistakes, I'd let them sit them down and let them know, hey, listen, I made a mistake here. This is what I did wrong. I'm sorry for that. And what it did for us is my kids were accountable too when they made mistakes I knew that they could come to me and when I said hey listen it's worse if I find this out and you lie to me so just tell me the truth that we can deal with it right now well oftentimes when a parent does that as soon as the kid tells them the truth they lose their minds well what does the kid do well, I'll never tell the truth again <laughs> I'll take my chances I'll take my chances because it's the same 
this is the same type of punishment rather I tell the truth or not tell the truth. And my kids really, um, and I'm fortunate to, I, I tell people all the time when I connect my kids with different people, whether it's in business or other things, I'm like, now listen, I, this is one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. I mean, and I'm not saying that because I'm dead. I, I admire them. I mean, I've learned so much from them um, as I raised them as a parent, um, things they taught me, things I learned from them. Um, and then where they are today just is an example of, um, I think I did, I, I know I did my part the best I could, but it's not all on the parent. I always say this, that I use this in sports. I use this as a parent, a parent slash coach has all the power, but no control. Once those kids leave the front door of your home or an athlete enters the white lines of a football field or in a court, you know, all the coaching and teaching and parenting is over. I mean, now it's the responsibility of the athlete or the child to be accountable and do the things they've been taught. And my kids have done that. And I'm proud of that, that they have, they have done that responsibility and been accountable because uh, that part of it is, is on them and it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, very well said. And I, I love what you say there about the transparency, because I think that's something that's definitely different about parenthood today. A lot of fathers where even myself, like I could never imagine my father apologizing to me for anything, but I find myself doing that, being more open about my mistakes with my own kids. And, and I think you're right there about the responsibility, too. It seems like we're in that age where the, the, the most popular phrase is, it's not my fault. Uh, you know, it's not I'm not you know, it's somebody else's fault, but mine. So uh, I, I think it's very important there. And right now we're all battling with this coronavirus. How has that been for you? Have you been able to see the grandkids? How has that uh, coronavirus affected you so far? Yeah, no, I haven't. It's, dri- it's driving me nuts. Um, um, I will get to see him. My son's getting married June 5th. So that that wedding is. It, we're staying on it today. Um, the actual wedding agenda itself is cha- is transforming and changing and dwindling down to just, you know, going to be family. Um, but I'll get to see my grandkids in person then. But, you know, the sky, uh, the FaceTiming and Skyping and Zooming that we have available now is is a plus. I mean, to be able to do that, and we do that kind of on a weekly basis so that we get to see each other. My grandkids know this. You can call me anytime because my Essie, my granddaughter, who's the youngest, three years old, um, for the first two years, she wanted nothing to do with me. And I made a goal. So I was like, I, I took a week off. I was like, I'm going there just to be with them. But I'm going to my goal is to make Essie connect with Essie somehow, have her connect with me in some fashion. And we actually as soon as I walked in the door, you know, she wanted nothing to do with me. She's a pistol now. I mean, she she's very selective on who she lets get close to her, right? And I was just not one of those guys. So it was uh it was affecting me because I was like, gosh, I gotta do something. So I just I went over there, it kind of took a couple of days and I, I we're gonna go on a I was gonna take them for our, um we're gonna go to Starbucks because they like these these little cake pops. So I was gonna take them there as a treat and I didn't really include Essie in the process because she had excluded me well she asked to go so I put her in the car with this we buckled her all up and that from that moment on she has not let me go I mean she has been want so she'll call me anytime or she'll get <laughs> grab the phone and tell them and I promise one rule I have is no matter what I answer my phone unless it's in a situation business wise and even then it would have to be pretty extreme I answer the phone when it's my kid grandkids and you know I, I'm a big hunter. I, you, you know what happens every time I get all settled in my in my setup, no matter where I'm hunting. 
I look at my phone and who's calling me Essie. I mean, there's more hunts than I have spent <laughs> talking on the phone there, but listen, I, it, it is all worth it. I, what I learned a long time ago um, with my kids, I said, Hey, listen, cause I worked at home a lot. I watched them. I watch a lot of tapes still. I got a setup here and in my office. So I told my kids, listen, you need me at any time. You want me to play with you. You need me to do something. You walk in my office and let me know that. Okay. Now, Oftentimes we'll say that as parents, and as soon as they walk in, ah, because they walk in at the worst time, you know, which is true. I I get a tape. I'm about ready to watch this game. I need to watch. It's really important. I got a deadline I got to make. And both can walk in. Hey, Dad, can you come play uh, um, Aladar? Well, Aladar, if you remember the dinosaur movie, Crone and Aladar, the the dinosaur movie, he liked liked me to play dinosaurs with him. Just I put in the tape, about ready to hit play. Hey, Dad, James and I want to play want to play um crone and aladar might so here's what i did absolutely of course i want to say hey but i was like no the rules rule i said all right here's what i found out i'd go play with them and i started keeping time of how long i would play with them before they got tired of me okay they're like okay we're done you can leave now it would range between nine and 15 minutes and i started thinking like nine or 15 minutes that's nothing if I would have just robbed them of that nine or 15 minutes and I was like, oh, I, it just it taught me a lesson to be diligent in doing that because it isn't like they're asking for all day. But those nine or 15 minutes matter to those kids and they know that they can come get you and they trust that you that you meant what you said that, hey, if you need me, I'll come. And even to this day, my I mean, my my son's 24. Like I'm looking at an email I just sent me this morning about a bill. <laughs> I mean, it's, it just builds you know, you start and invest early in your kids, it evolves later in life. It's what I think happened to me in my life. My, even though I lost my mom at a young age, my parents didn't invest in me as far as doing things with me. And they, I think they realized it about age 18 when I was going to graduate. And then they wanted to do all these things with me. And I remember my, my feeling was like, I want nothing to do with you. You know, and it wasn't mean as I'd never done anything with them. And it was felt actually uncomfortable. And I was like, I'm not going to let my, I don't want my, want my kids to feel like that. So I invested the day that they were born and it's evident today. I mean, I'm, I get up with an email that's very consistent of, Hey, Bo, Bo asked me a question. Hey, what's this dad? You know what this is? Can you help me with this? So, um, I'm grateful for that. I like to see those emails. I like them to call me and ask me for things and if they need help and they know they can do that in a drop of hat and I'll be there. Yeah, it's very cool, Merrill. And I have four kids myself. One of the most difficult things, well, not most difficult, but one of the challenges is to try to make sure I spread my time equally amongst all four of them. And whether it is, like you said, nine or 15 minutes, it does mean the whole world to them when they get that isolated time with that. And whether it's going for a walk, uh, you know, come with me on an errand to the store, it means so much more to them. So I try to be you know, vigilant of, of what I'm doing as far as spreading out the time with them. And now my oldest is only 14. So I've got a lot of these uh, categories that are coming up that I'm about to get into, especially with the high school years. And when we talk about the being honest, really trying to set them up for uh, when it comes to drugs, alcohol, sex, driving and stuff like that. So you've been through all these things. How did you kind of handle when, especially with your daughter, NFL football player like yourself here, how did you kind of manage all this stuff when your daughter hit that dating scene? My, my, my youngest is my only girl. She's five right now. I'm already dreading them days. But how did you kind of handle it when it came to that? Well, um, I, I will tell you this. Um, because I was so in tune with Corey and involved with all her friends and active with coaching her and being a part of her, her daily life, um, 
as a parent, I, I watched for things. Now I'll tell you what happened. I'm in the garage one day and she's telling me this joke and I'd heard the joke before. And it's when she started out, I was like, okay, this is a X rated joke. I'm my daughter's starting to tell me. Okay. And when she tells me the joke in the manner which she told me, an alarm went off. Okay. These are the kind of things she's hearing at school. Okay. Well, I don't want some 14, 13, 14, 15 year old clueless kid giving my daughter some information when they are as clueless as she is. And I realized then, okay, they're starting to talk about sex and drugs and I need to talk to her now about it. I need to express to her about it. And I, um, what I tried to do with my kids is I gave them, I don't, I don't want to give them, Hey, listen, you ever do anything like that? You're dead. I will kill you. You ever touch anything? You know, I don't want to create that fear. in them. I want to help equip them. How do you handle the peer pressure? How do you handle somebody who comes in and says, Oh man, you want to, you want to take a, you want to, you want a beer? You want to, you want to smoke this joint? You want to take this pill? Um, um, oh, it's okay to go with him and do that. I go, here are the options and ways to handle getting out of it. And we would walk through different scenarios. I go, listen, you, I can always be the bad guy. Okay. You can always go, if my dad knew anything about this and now he will find out, I go, we're all done. I go, that could be an option. Um, and also think about too, when you choose to say no, when you choose not to put, we you say drugs and alcohol, let's take that category for a, sep- for a second. There's rewards for not doing that. I used to tell my kids, I've never seen anybody in in my life, and I probably and nobody will ever see it, where they're going to say drugs and alcohol were the success were the keys to my success. You'll never hear that story, but I'll give you thousands of stories where they're like it ruined my life, it ruined opportunities. Had I not done that, I could have possibly done this. So I go, there's fallout when you make those choices. So what I'm trying to get at is I really try to give them a a scope of things and ways to get out of peer pressures that they may be put into. Um, they Going back to the relationship that we already had, they could call me in a heartbeat and they knew that. And then they knew that they were gonna get in trouble if they were in that environment or got put in that environment. They, they were doing the right thing of getting out of the environment and I'd be there to help them. So I gave them a lot of tools to try to help them deal with somebody making peer pressure into them. And if you choose to say yes, here's the ramifications for it. Understand this could co- this could be the fallout from it. You know, if you choose to go down the road and you have premarital sex as a young girl uh, or a young boy, here's the things that can happen from it. OK, and none of them are very good. Okay, But here's the results if you say no. And these are really good things, too. So present both sides to them so they have that and then develop some tools for them so they can handle those environments, walk through them. Uh, we used to do little scripts where I'd, I'd say things to pressure them and they'd, they'd uh, use what tools we'd use to get out of it, you know, to defend themselves. And, and in fact, I'll tell you this, what probably was the most complimenting thing that ever happened from those talks. It was my daughter's around 16 and her friend of hers was struggling with a guy that was really pressuring her into doing some things that they shouldn't be doing. And she brought her into my office. This is how comfortable my daughter was. She brings me into my, her office. She sits her down and she tells me what's going on with her. And she goes, can you help her dad? And walked out. And I'm like, 
I and mean, you talk about praying. I'm like, oh, please help me, please help me, please help me with this one. <laughs> so, so they they would bring friends of theirs, you know, to say, hey, here's what my dad can help you with that, you know. Um, and the little girl, you know, that I remember, I remember asking him, you know, some some questions, and I kind of have asked her. I go, well, listen, if you say yes, what is the result of that? What if you say no? What's the result of that? And when we walked through those things with her, she's, you know, kind of did the same thing with her, gave her some tools to think of, which is usually what happens with kids is they've never prepared for those scenarios. They get caught in them. And, you know, you know, I mean, I've been in peer pressure situations and, and collapsed in because I didn't have an out. I didn't have a way to defend it. And so that's what I really tried to do with my kids is give them all of those tools. So when it presented, I remember the first time my, my son Bo told me he got offered to do a cigarette. You know, I mean, he was like, and he, I remember how angry he was, but how proud he was, how he handled it. But he had used those tools on how he's like, well, I'm telling my dad then. He goes, I'm going to tell my dad, and this kid shouldn't be smoking either, right? That kid started clamming up. So he didn't know what to do. You know? <laughs> so I was like, I was like, Bo, that's a good move, son. I love it. So, yeah. you know, that, I think when you, if you do those things, then you at least, then I go back to that. A parent has all, a coach says, parent, we have all the power, but no control. You know, as soon as they leave the front door, then you're just hoping that the tools you, you gave them, that they'll, they'll apply. Nothing beats an American flag made in the USA, right? Well, how about an American flag made in the USA by veterans out of duty-worn fatigues from all branches of the military? That is exactly what you get with combat flags. Combat flags are handcrafted from duty-worn fatigues and offer a tangible piece of freedom to the American people. Each flag is accompanied by a professionally designed and printed card that tells the story of service of a soldier, marine, airman, sailor, or coastie who wore the fatigues used to make the flag. They are the real deal, Dad, so what are you waiting for? Visit CombatFlags.com and use the promo code FATHER, and First Class Fatherhood listeners will save 10% off their purchase. Veteran-owned, American-made. CombatFlags.com, promo code FATHER. Yeah, I think it's some great advice, Marilyn. I think uh, we have these tools in place for kids to defend themselves physically. Like we could put them in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We could put them in a karate class to teach them if they get into a situation how to defend themselves. But we don't really do that as much when it comes to these scenarios. Uh, we always, it's when people get there and they have the problem, we send them to an AA or something to how to get out of it at after effect. We don't really have that as a, um, a preemptive strike for how to handle it. Like we even go to a class and learn like you just said there, have some options to defend yourself in these situations. And I drive Uber on the weekends, man. And I'll tell you, it's a, it's a nightmare what I see at two o'clock in the morning when the bars are emptying out. And it's like, it's mostly the, you know, the college age kids. And it's like, you know, they are hammered. The good thing is that they're using the technology to get home and they're not drinking and driving, but it's just a mess out there. And I think our culture really, uh, uh, you know, celebrates that lifestyle. And it's like, oh, you have to have that experience. And I think kids are like, uh, more inept to do it just because uh, of it's what you're supposed to do to gain that experience, you know, as a college student. Uh, but I, uh, I, I would agree with you. Um, that's why, you know, I try to be proactive with my kids with walking through all the scenarios of yes and no. You know, I mean, it's you have to walk when you walk through those and go, here's could be the ramifications and understand that. And when you walk through them at a younger age, most of it really work well with with me with my kids because they they thought about those things you know and 
you know, what they wanted to do with their lives became important. And we, the more that we, and we constantly talked, we didn't just have one dissertation on that one day and then let it go. I mean, it was a constant dialogue, you know, through those years. Yeah. And, and getting back into your story a little bit here, Merrill, what led you into the path of uh, becoming an author and a motivational speaker? What was the uh, genesis of uh, you making that change? <laughs> um, I was sitting in a chemotherapy chair. It was my last treatment. Um, a dear friend of mine who really the executive director of the foundation I'm the chairman of, which is the, the caring place, the Highmark Caring Place, which is a grieving center for children and families and entire families. But we focus on children. I lost my mom at a young age. Um, so I understood what the sting of death uh, was like. I got involved in this program about my second year as a steward. I got selected to be a captain and then eventually I evolved into the chairman. But um, long story short, on my last chemotherapy treatment, the director of our foundation, Charlie the Valley, who is a uniquely uh, special man, had heard about what I did, you know, before and after my treatment. Like I'd get up, work out, and then I'd go to a treatment for like 12, 14 hours. And then when I got home, I would finish up with some of my, my uh, training programs that I used to do or playing a basketball game if it was scheduled that day. And he's like, you know, we ought to document that day. He goes, I think it would there'd be great value in that. And I'll be honest with you, I thought he was really documenting. My kids were seven and nine at the time. And I thought we were doing it more so that they'll have footage of me. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I was just trying to survive at that time. And we were sitting in my chair, and he was just asking me a bunch of questions. The camera was rolling the whole day. Um, and he started talking to me. And I can't remember the question he asked, but it, it sparked my find a way model that I had had since I was a kid. So I shared with him the cork wall that I had in my bedroom and how I ended up putting find a way at the very top of that wall ahead of all my other goals, because it was the words that helped inspire me to take action towards my circumstances or towards the goals I was trying striving to achieve. And what stimulated them is as a kid, uh, when I got asked, what I wanted to do when I grew up, I'd tell people, I'm playing the National Football League. And one of four things was always said to me right away. People go, oh, you know how hard that is? You know what the odds you play in the NFL are? Oh, don't, son, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I wouldn't want you to be disappointed. Or it was impossible. Now, I mentioned I see things through a child's eyes more than most adults. This is one of those examples. The people that were supposed to encourage me were the first ones to discourage me. But it's what I love about kids is they're resilient. Like I never got affected by that. It didn't ever, didn't phase me until that moment of truth I had in my bedroom that day when I'm looking at, I will play in the National Football League, that goal I had on my wall. And the more I looked at it, I start thinking about all the things people keep telling me. And the more I think about them, the more I will play in the National Football League is nothing more than words on a wall. And it becomes impossible. And it did, I remember the, that moment of despair. And the words find a way, I remember it popped into my head and I was like, wow, I just, my energy changed. Still, I mean, I, I got the words on my wall right here. I got goals on this. So for well over three, almost four decades, those words have stimulated and inspired me to take action. And at the end of the day, there's not a person that's listening to your podcast or will that can't do can't take action towards their circumstances. Going back to what you were talking about with excuses. You know, nowadays you hear people, 
I call it a winning locker room or a locker, or a, a winner's approach or a quitter's approach. What do quitters usually do? All right. Point fingers, cast blame, make excuses. Like if you hear that out of a person, you, you probably understand their mental makeup. They're not going anywhere with that type of attitude. That is, that is, a, that is a recipe and a, and a toxic, uh, poisonous recipe for disaster. But a winner. All people in winning positions, the first thing that they all do is the most important thing I have found that makes change and inspires action and helps you deviate and start moving towards better things. Self-evaluate. Look at yourself, find out what can I do better, what should I do better, correct those things, make a plan, and take action. If you follow that process, which I started to really follow that process with the words find a way did, they inspired me to do that. Um, They helped me do that daily. Um, And the energy I get from it and garner from it, the things that, you know, the words are supposed to help me live a dream. Now they've helped me find ways to live. I mean, um, the book itself was a journey of find a way. How do you write a book? I had no idea how to do that. So, but taking action and doing things to help me discover that or change that or improve that helped me eventually get there. And anyway, I was sharing that with him and he's like, you need to write a book and you need to get that message out. And I said, Hey, Charlie, he's got to remember I'm in the chemotherapy chair. It's the, one of the worst treatments I'd ever had. It was taking longer than ever. And I was just thinking about surviving, to be honest with you. I was like, if I, I said, Charlie, I turned to him, I said, Charlie, if I survive, I'll do it. All right. I'll do it. And I just left, left it at that. A year later, he calls me up. He said, you remember that promise? And I said, I remember, Charlie. He goes, you need to write that book. And so I ended up doing it. Um, and actually, uh, that was 10 years ago. I just republished uh, Find a Way because I had really my ESPN career to put in there and my open heart surgery that I need to put in there. So I added those to it and republished it here just about, well, several months ago, but I just got the the first copies here a week ago. Yeah. Wow. Very inspirational stuff, Mel. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll drop a link in the uh, description of this podcast episode where my listeners can tap it and, and pick up a copy of both of your books. And, uh, you know, you mentioned there the NFL right now, we're in this whole thing, all sports. And we finally just had some UFC action it was the first sports that we've had in a, in a couple of months here. What do you kind of see? I mean, you've been covering the sport for your whole life here. What, what do you where do you see the NFL headed uh, in this uh, upcoming season here with this coronavirus uh, hanging in the balance here? Yeah, well, I, I think it's so hard to predict that, you know, because all you can use is what are our circumstances right now. Now, what we have right now are not what we're going to have, you know, come September, you know, or August. Um, let's hope and, you know, by the way things are going, they will be better. But what kind of restrictions will be, you know, in place at that time? I think the league, oh, I know this, the league will be prepared to do whatever direction they need to, you know, rather that's, you know, I know maybe you can have X amount of fans, but they have to be X as far apart and a mask. I don't know. I'm just thinking of all the scenarios they, I'm sure they have gone through and will through and be prepared to uh, implement if need be, you know, let's hope that it's, um, it's not like that. Let's hope that we can get back to some normalcy where we can, you know, you can go to events and you can enjoy those events and you can get out and do the things that, you know, that you've missed and that you, that you haven't been able to do. So hoping it's there. I mean, 
could there be some type of, you know, hopefully have testing or even a, a vaccine by then. So that obviously makes things, you know, much easier to get back to normalcy. So, you know, hoping for those things and all those things will change, you know, how the league goes about about handling it. But, um, you know, right now it's such a hard, it's an arduous thing to sit there and figure out, you know, what, what are you going to, what are you going to do in August when almost this thing changes weekly, you know? Yeah, it's definitely raised so many questions in all aspects of our life here. And what, what I mean, you've had so much success here throughout your career and everything that you've done. What kind of goals or plans do you have right now for yourself for the future? Well, ironically, um, I, I'm, I'm in the process of building a theater or an office theater, you know, to do um, to do more stuff in housing based on how all this stuff came about it. You know, it's it's really it's been a positive because you've been been forced to do more Skyping, Zoom, things like that and finding ways, you know, to do something where you used to speak in front of thousands of people to do that you know, basically with a camera and a screen, you know, um, how can you keep, you know, interacting with people in different ways? So it set that up for me. Um, it took me with that process, but also helped me. I mean, listen, there's value in being in front of people and seeing people and talking to people. Some of my greatest feedback ever is the unsolicited feedback you get after you present and you're with people. So, you know, that is my, my first and foremost love and clearly want to get back to that but finding different ways to go about it also has been you know kind of productive at this time to find different ways you can still do some things if need be where you can't be there yeah and i think like going back to what you said before there winners will find a way here during this time to create new ways uh to provide more value as they go through these new changes that we're facing here right now and uh, last thing I want to hit you with here, Merrill, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for the new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Well, I, I actually kind of already said it initially, but it's something that um, I think is so valuable that you invest in your child the day they're born. Spend time with them. You know, don't sit there and say, well, you know, there's only, you know, they poop and sleep. Okay, well, there's... Guess what? Changing a diaper is still being there to hold them. I mean, you know, you start with that. Talking to kids, you know, when they're mumbling, you know, listening to them, you know, and some of the most important things I've ever done is just listen to my kids, okay? Not be the talker, but be the listener. Um, something I, I did that uh, when I'm talking about investing and truly being with them, I, I used to tell my kids, they listen, I mean, if you guys need a ride anywhere, you know, and you want to go play with a friend or something, just let me know. You know, I kind of already talked about my office. They could come to me anytime because I worked at home. And, of course, they always came in and interrupted me at a time that doesn't work, wasn't convenient for me. But I never, ever said no. Now, what I did, and oftentimes my kids only needed a ride that's five minutes away. What I started thinking about is that five minutes is a time to really connect with my kids. So I had a rule. Well, you can ask me to take you anywhere. I'll take you anywhere. If you got to go play and you need a ride, I'll, I'll take you. No radio. And we hold hands and we talk on the way over there. And I'm telling you, I remember my son was around, think of this, about 14 years old. His two buddies are in the back. I'm taking, I can't remember where I'm taking him, but he, they, they couldn't get anybody to take him. So he calls me, I'm taking him. He turns the radio off and grabs my hand. Okay, now he's 14. Two buddies in the back. He's holding my hand with these two buddies in the back. I'm, I'm sitting there driving like, going, this ain't happening. <laughs> but. 
the reason it happened is because I, I would do that at age three, four, five with him. And this was not unformed to him. And I'd do it around. He's all, all his buddies knew that too. I mean, all his buddies, I mean, some of his, one of his dear friends, Griffey is like my adopted son. He lost his dad to a heart attack when he was born. So he became like my son and it wasn't foreign to them to see that, you know? Um, um, so, and it's not foreign for Bo to hold my hand, drive into somewhere, drop him off. Cause he'd been doing it since he could remember. So invest early, invest with them. Listen, you know, if you can do those two things, create a line of communication. Um, it just will help build that relationship. They'll come to you with things that they're not going to be fearful, you know, and how you react uh, to things that they come to even things that you're just like, you, you want to lose your money, like be composed and handle it in a manner. If you think hey, you're on the other side, how do I want, how would I like them to respond to this? You know, how will make me feel like I can come to them more. And when they, they trust that, that doesn't mean that punishments aren't um, implied or that, you know, there's not times you don't get angry with your kids. I mean, there were times I got angry with my kids, but I never lost my composure. I never laid a hand on them. I never felt value in that. So I feel there's value now to slap adults because adults know better. That's what you should <laughs> spank. Not, now when you're 13 and you do something stupid, you know, that or 11 or seven when you, you know, you spill milk and you're going to get, what? I mean, it's, it happens at that age. I mean, I think spankings are good, but I think they should be for like when they're in their twenties or thirties, you know, um, <laughs> You know, now when you're a kid and you don't know what's going on and you're like, what was that for? You know, I'm kidding. This is, this is not very productive, but invest early, listen to them, build that relationship of communication. And it'd be a great footer and foundation for your relationship going forward. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Merrill Hodge, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. My pleasure. All the best, all the dads out there. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Merrill Hodge for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's podcast. I always love to read your feedback. Lock it in tomorrow on the show, a fresh Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood with a returning guest, former Navy SEAL, former Marine, Craig the Sawman Sawyer will be here. He's got a new documentary out with uh, Vets for Child Rescue titled Contra Land about these child sex predators that are just plaguing our society. Uh, thank God for people like Craig and his team that are going after these bastards. Don't miss out on tomorrow's episode. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Sometimes